Americans make about 240 million calls to 911 each year, and we have faith that when we call, help will be on the way. The Universal 911 number is part of a system that was rolled out starting in 1968, and the technology it uses reflects it. Our existing 911 infrastructure is based on technology that was developed in the late 70s and early 80s and was adapted to accommodate wireless and text to 911 and some other newer features that are out there as technology advances. That technology is all based on circuit networks that are basically point-to-point connections across technology that, like I said, started around the early 80s. That's Budge Courier, 911 administrator for the state of California. He says the many patches keeping the system going just aren't enough anymore. Cell phones are one big reason. Today, more than 75 percent of 911 calls come from cell phones, and they hadn't even been invented when the system was built to take calls from fixed locations. Back when it was landlines, when the calls came in, you could, with a certain amount of certainty, know that the call was coming from the address that would populate on the screen. That's Elizabeth Adams, a former 911 call center administrator for the Vermont State Police. People have this misperception that when they call on a cell phone, you know exactly where they are, and you don't. Quite often, depending on what cell carrier or what tower it's hitting or how it triangulates, you might not know within you know a certain mile radius where exactly that person is. And sometimes people call cell phones in New York and it comes to Vermont 911. It all depends on what cell towers these calls are hitting, and we don't know where the people are. The technology used by 911 with cell phones is not as advanced as even some of the technology in your cell phone that's used by other cell phone programs. Each of the calls that come in, if it's a wireline, we know where they are. If it's a voice over IP call, we typically know where they are. That 80% in California that comes in over wireless, that's where the challenge comes in. Generally, we know the sector of the cell tower that you've called from, which could be a kind of like a pie-shaped area that could go out for miles in some of the uh, rural cases. So we just know you're generally somewhere in that area when you initially make that call. So location accuracy is critical. And those are some of the initiatives we're working with the FCC and some of the regulatory bodies to actually take that data that will be available from the wireless device so that we have better accuracy on where that caller is actually located. However, that's in the future for many locations. A lot of 911 call centers haven't upgraded yet to next-generation systems that can pinpoint any caller's location. So even though Google Maps knows within a few yards where you are, a 911 call center may not. And that's something we hear a lot. Hey, Google knows where I am or Uber knows where I am. But if you were to take your device and run a test and see how long from when you start the app to when it knows your location. Typically, 5 to 30 seconds can go by, and that's too long in 911. I need to know in two seconds or less where you are because that's how fast I'm routing your call to that first decision-making device that's going to send the call to the dispatch center. So I can't wait for your app to run and get me that data. I have to route immediately. 
and some of these other apps that we're familiar with, that five to 30 second delay, it's just something we're accustomed to and we know, oh, I pull up Google Maps and I've got to wait a little while before it knows where I'm at and it gets on accurate location for me. Well, in the meantime, that call is already at the dispatch center. Even when a caller gives an address, it's not always easy for 911 workers to find it to send help. They use whatever they have when seconds count. There is a 911 mapping system that they use However, a lot of them employ Google Maps because it's faster. And one of the other main problems that we have in Vermont is it's not just counties and towns. Within those towns, there's these little hamlets that all of the locals use and refer to, and yet those hamlets don't always show up on mapping. You also might have a road such as U.S. Route 7 that travels through several counties. And depending on where it is in the county, it might be known as four different names in just that one county. But if that came into a center for a local dispatcher, they would know that. So they would make sure that they were putting that information out in a way that the responders knew where they were responding to. But when you have a dispatcher that lives an hour and a half away from where it's happening and they're not familiar with the area, they don't even know enough to ask those questions to ascertain that difference because they don't even know that there's a difference. That's why Adams says administrators need to carefully evaluate whether 911 centers should be consolidated, a current trend nationwide. In Vermont, for example, now two centers handle the whole state. Adams understands the attraction, but says there has to be a limit. I absolutely agree that it's more efficient and better on cost to an extent. There's this concept of economies of scale. So if you have more areas being covered, you can use a smaller number of people because the resources can spread farther. And you're talking about really expensive technology. So if you put it in one location, servicing more areas, that's great. But you should only go so far. There's a point where you have to say, okay, so now we're at two centers in Vermont, but should we only have one center in Vermont? Should we only have one that covers Vermont and New Hampshire? At what point do you say it's too much? We believe it's very important. We believe that in our uh, managed service model, you have to be a local partner. That's Lawrence Consalvos, President and Chief Operating Officer of IXP Corporation, a public safety firm that carries out 911 consolidation and operational studies and technology delivery. They also operate call centers on behalf of government. So you need to hire locally, you need to live locally, and then you need to ensure that two things occur. One, that your employees become part of that community and understand the community. So doing ride-alongs, participating in educational events, participating in community night out, that's very important. And you also need to ensure that the technology being used supports components of the operation, such as the geofile, master name file, you know, commonplace file, so that folks can maintain that sense of community when they're calling 911, that they know, you know, I live at the second red house past the big barn, as opposed to having an exact address. So you need to understand the community and you need to be part of it. However, Adams says in her experience, consolidation doesn't always go well for workers, and that can make it bad for the community. The remaining dispatchers are overworked and overstressed. A lot of them are having health issues because of it. One of them passed out at their keyboard and they required medical response to respond because they were too stressed out doing the job. Most of them cannot get their annual leave covered when they put in for leave time. They're frequently saying that some of them are working 60, 
70 hours a week back to back without getting leave covered because they can't get the staffing. When they hire new people, it was already hard for a new hire to learn the job in the area because it was so complex. And now it's an immeasurable task because it takes a year or two to get a fully trained dispatcher where they're competent. And that's when it was a quarter of the state. So now add that many more agencies they need familiarity for, that much more geography. It's insurmountable. However, as 911 centers wrestle with the higher cost of next-gen technology, there's plenty of incentive to approach the line between prudent and too much consolidation. A number of states have passed legislation forcing consolidation in the name of lower costs. There are 7,500 911 centers in the United States. And in certain states, because of either fiscal challenges and long-term financial liabilities, maintaining a communication center is just not sustainable. Pension costs, health care costs, employee costs are really driving communities that cannot raise taxes to really look at how they deliver core services, and that being essentially the last mile of service, police, fire, EMS. And looking at those areas that are not at that last mile of service as being potential areas that can be consolidated to create more efficiencies and potentially manage service or outsourcing or privatization to provide you know, a higher level of service at a reduced and sustainable level of cost. However, Courier says it's not a sure thing that consolidation always delivers that. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. One thing that we see as lacking is a true cost model to see if there really is any cost savings associated with consolidation, especially when you factor into the equation, the facility you'd have to purchase in order to house the center and all the positions and all of the uh, staffing and what's required. When you consider everything, we have not seen a real good cost analysis to see if, in fact, it would you know, save money. We haven't seen that data. Cost really needs to be assessed and the savings need to be assessed to determine if there's really you know, benefits. Now, at a technology level, there may be more benefits, consolidated platforms, shared technology support resources, but every instance needs to be evaluated on its own merit. Our consolidation model is based upon every community retaining its own identity and the service metrics that the public safety executives and the local officials want for that community. Some consolidations that we've seen around the country have failed because they've tried to do it as a one-size-fits-all. And the level of service and the metrics for each community are changed, and that creates a lot of political and operational churn inside those communities. So economies of scale may go only so far. Bigger isn't always better. 911 centers need to carefully consider whether consolidation is really a good idea so that when you call for help, it's quickly on the way. There is some cases where it makes sense because of jurisdictions and the way they share resources, availability of a physical space, and a whole bunch of other parameters that they might want to consolidate. So we have someone here on my team who works with those dispatch centers and says, okay, here's some lessons learned, here's some best practices, 
here's some other folks who have done successful consolidations and how they've put that into practice so that the dispatch center has the tools to make an educated decision. And that's really what we're about. We want to make sure that we come alongside the dispatch center or centers that are considering consolidation and walk them through that process and what that looks like. You can find out more about all of our guests through links on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. You'll also find archives of our programs there, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence. Radio Health Journal returns in just a moment. Good dietary practices have a strong connection to a lower risk of cognitive decline as we age, according to four large new studies reported at the 2017 Alzheimer's Association International Conference. Results of one study show a 35 to 40 percent lower risk of cognitive impairment among people who've consistently followed heart-healthy diets. Even modest improvements in diet bring a lower risk of decline. Dr. James Hendricks is Director of Global Science Initiatives at the Alzheimer's Association. The size and length of these four studies clearly demonstrate how powerful healthful eating can be in maintaining brain health and function. However, what we eat is just one part of the puzzle. Studies show regular exercise and lifelong learning are also important to reduce the risk of cognitive decline. Another of the new studies suggests that poor diet may promote premature signs of aging through inflammation. To learn more, including the Alzheimer's Association's 10 Ways to Love Your Brain, based on the latest research, visit alz.org. Medical Notes this week. Nearly all of us use our smartphones every day, but if you use them too much, it could increase your likelihood of developing carpal tunnel syndrome. A new study in the journal Muscle and Nerve finds that more than half of participants who use their smartphones five or more hours a day experience wrist and hand pain. That compares to only 12% of patients who use their phone less than five hours per day. To reduce the chance of wrist and hand pain, researchers suggest limiting electronic device use as much as possible. Well, here's more bad news about pesticides. A new study in Environmental International finds that mothers who were exposed to the chemicals chlorpyrifos or NALED during their pregnancies had children with 3 to 4 percent decreased fine motor skills at nine months than children who were not exposed. Chlorpyrifos is used as a pesticide on fruits and vegetables. NALED is used as an insecticide, mostly for mosquitoes, which have become a particular concern since the introduction of Zika. And finally, having sex more frequently may increase your brain power as you age. A new study from Journals of Gerontology finds that couples between age 50 and 83 who engaged in more regular sexual activity scored higher on tests that measured verbal fluency and visuospatial ability. And that's Medical Notes this week. Accidental falls are a leading cause of injury and death in older Americans. In fact, one in three people age 65 and older will take a fall at some point that diminishes their quality of life. Falls can happen for a variety of reasons, but Dr. Katie Davenport, a practicing emergency physician and member of the American College of Emergency Physicians, explains how to reduce your risk. Emergency physicians have outlined seven simple steps to avoid falls in a new video. Here are a few of them. First, improve strength and balance with exercise, like Tai Chi. Check your home for hazards that could cause you to trip, like loose rugs. Make sure you wear supportive footwear, and if your medications make you feel lightheaded or dizzy, ask your doctor or pharmacist about alternatives. For more tips, visit www.emergencycareforyou.org. 
The 7-Step Fall Challenge video outlines common steps you can take right now to greatly reduce your risk of falling. Just go to emergencycareforyou.org to view it and find more information. That's emergencycareforyou.org. Living with diabetes can be challenging, complicated, and expensive. A recent survey conducted by Wakefield Research found 62% of adults with diabetes say they'd better manage their disease if supplies were more affordable. Roche Diabetes Care has now introduced the AccuCheck Guide System, a new blood glucose meter and simple pay savings program designed to help make managing diabetes surprisingly simple and more affordable. As part of the AccuCheck Guide System, the new blood glucose meter will help simplify the most frequent tasks needed to manage diabetes, including a new spill-resistant SmartPak test strip vial, a larger blood application area on the strip, and a strip port light that makes testing in daytime, nighttime, or anytime simple. The meter is now available at most pharmacies, and to start saving on test strips, download the Simple Pay Savings card on the AccuCheck website. Simply hand the Simple Pay card to your pharmacist. With the AccuCheck guide meter and strip prescription for consistent and easy to understand everyday low prices. For more information, visit accu-check.com/guide. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.